Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I get to interview a guy that I've known for a long time. Uh, we got to know each other through a church planting network. It actually starts out with, well, I'll let him kind of tell the story, and I'll intervene a little, and, and you just get to know my friend Joe Mabe. And so, uh, Joe, you're the pastor of Hope Chapel in Keene, New Hampshire. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. So tell us a little bit about the, the history of the church, how it got started. I'm, I'm going to kind of maybe kick yeah. off with a little history here. Uh, mm -hmm. Just as I was leaving to go to Hawaii, we had a young guy in our church named Jeff Fisher. And he's a surfer who'd come to the beach on Sundays, spend the day in the water, and then come to church on Sunday night. He started bringing friends from where he lived in the San Fernando Valley. And uh, he was 20 years old. And pretty soon they ran out of cars. There were so many kids coming, they couldn't handle everybody. And so he comes begging me to plant a church in Sherman Oaks, California, where he lives. And so in, instead of that, we sent him out there to plant a church. And uh, we sent our 30-year-old youth pastor to babysit the 20-year-old guy. We actually paid the 30-year-old guy to babysit the, the freelance guy at age 20. Uh, Jeff is still there all these years later. This was 1983. 283. And uh, he eventually sent Dale Yancey to New Hampshire to plant a church. And uh, that church existed for a while and, and then failed. And uh, Dale has gone on, done other things. And, and, and yet he set in motion a really incredible thing. He, he discipled some people and taught them to disciple others. <clears throat> and you're a product of that. So why don't you pick up the story from Dale and and then take us through Tom and yourself and the other guys that are in there. So Dale decided to uh, plant um, Nashua. I'm actually very close to Dale. He is, we've actually gone all over the world together, Israel, different places. When I get a crazy idea, Dale actually babysat me many, many crazy times. But um, he, uh, he made the decision to go to Nashua because it said in Time Magazine that Nashua was the number one city to move to in America. It was a favorite spot. So it, was, it wasn't a great you know, fasting and prayer. He just read an article and said, I want to go there. So he went there and uh, he started a church. He gathered people primarily from one industry, from a couple of employers, um, U.S. military industrial complex. One was called Sanders. So he started getting a lot of engineers from one company. So the reason that that church failed wasn't because the church failed. It was because when that company had a bad problem, um, all of its engineers had to go to work for other companies. So it was an economic issue. So the church disbanded because of economics and all of his leadership moved all over the country and he was left with only a handful of people. He took it as God's time to move to do something different. So um, he got a lot of people saved. He started, he started a guy named Tom Johnson and uh, Tom uh, left Dale's church um, and started a church in Jaffrey and uh, Jaffrey, New Hampshire. And I joined, I joined Tom after he'd had a, we call it a false start. He had, he had some momentum and then the thing just kind of collapsed on him and he restarted and my wife and I joined and um, nobody really knew what we were doing. We just loved Jesus and we had most Hope Chapel model, which was great. And so, um, so we uh, just continued on. And after only a year and a half or two years, I left Tom's church to plant a place called Key, New Hampshire. Uh, and Tom Johnson was, is a very prolific uh, church planner. You want to say anything about that? You know, I know Tom. I, I've uh, come to really respect him. I, 
uh, my understanding was that he, from that little church, he'd started maybe 16, 18 churches, but then he's gone on to kind of have a voice in the church multiplication world. And I, I, I think he's doing some stuff in uh, the Philippines. Uh, last I heard, there was like a couple hundred churches there. What, did, what do we know about that? Uh, he works with a guy named Mike Perkins, and he currently still does senior pastor. Um, Tom's had some real big health problems, and I'm just so proud of him. He has soldiered through lots of, uh, lots of things. He has what's called cystic fibrosis, and you know, not being able to breathe and feel like you have the flu all the time. That guy has done amazing work for Jesus in the midst of you know, personal loss, and I'm so, so proud of him. Um, his Filipino movement, his Asian movement, is actually in the thousands of people. Um, there's, he flies over there even still being sick. Uh, he went to Manila one year. I think he got really sick in Manila uh, when he was struggling. And he still you know, spoke to hundreds of church planters and daughter church planters. And so he's got some good things going. And um, I was Tom's first church plant. Uh, neither one of us really knew how to do that. We just did it. Uh, we busted heads together. Um, and we, but we love each other very much. And so, um, Keene, New Hampshire started back in 1994 and my wife and I rented a, uh, well, we, we started praying in a broken down trailer with one person who was coming from the area and instantly we got a, a nymphomaniac and we got a, we got a guy out of jail and we got, you know, we just got the dregs of society as people would say. And from that, we, uh, I don't know if it was a mistake or not, we got a, 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 a mentally challenged person saved who started bringing all his mentally challenged friends. We started praying for them and they got saved and healed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what do you do with a whole church full, starts burgeoning full of mentally or mentally challenged. So their social workers started coming, like seeing whether we were a cult or not. And they saw us pray for people and see them healed right there on the spot. Uh, the Holy Spirit was really powerful at that point. And um, so then we rented a, a space in uh, downtown library uh, at the bottom. Within two weeks, we had 80 people coming. Uh, I, had, I started two mini churches, call them home groups, but um, we started two and those were full of 30 people each. We started our first service. Um, I learned and I, I was a, I'm a Baptocostal. I started with the Baptists and it was a wonderful experience. I'm so grateful for my scriptural foundation, but I have the Holy Spirit. What do you do? So um, I kind of chose to, you know, come into the Pentecostal movement. Um, and um, we just had, I, I learned how to cast out demons because they just showed up with people. And so I didn't really want to quote Pentecostal church, but when people need healing and, or, and they're, they're definitely deep, you know, they're definitely possessed. Um, that was our first church service, and I was not happy with it. It didn't go the way I wanted. And then uh, people got saved at Virgin. We then went from Saturday nights to Sunday morning. That was a mistake. Uh, <laughs> from there, we just started growing fast. And we've actually consistently been for 25 years around the 200, 225 mark. And at one point, I, my biggest number, I had 14 mini churches. Um, we, we, we suffer from some cultural issues here that other people don't every, you know, every area is completely different. Um, we had a huge issue with the Catholic church and pedophilia. So we, we actually planted our church when all those, all the Boston diocese were being discovered. And since the area is unchurched, they all assume we're Catholics. And so 
you know, we were just fighting the whole pedophilia thing and it got to be a bit difficult, but not saying anything more about that. It, it's Keene's been wonderful. Um, within two years, we planted two more churches. Um, uh, one went to Berlin, New Hampshire, or Berlin, New Hampshire, and one went to Walpole, New Hampshire. And then another one went to the Seacoast, so three churches in two and a half years. And um, two of those are still going in some form. One of them closed, but the one that closed on the Portsmouth, the guy got 17 people saved, and those people are either dead in heaven or walking with Jesus. So, you know, when you start a church and you give yourself a year, he gave himself a year to see if it would succeed. Um, he called me and said, oh, Joe, I failed. I'm closing the doors. I'm like, how do you fail when you get 17 people saved and disciple? That's not a failure. You know, most Christians in their entire life will never affect that that deep of a level, 17 people. You know, if they did, Jesus would have come back already. <laughs> so uh, uh, anyway, so we did that. Then uh, church got hard for me. Uh, I was working full time and pastoring full time. And so uh, I was I had this thing about doing a cell church and I wanted that and the culture of people just didn't want that. They didn't want to be discipled in small groups. And I don't know how not to disciple in small groups. That's all I got. Um, I can preach. Uh, I've spoken to very large crowds, but my thing is, you know, small groups. I, it has to be small groups. Jesus had 12. Um, what do you do when you get a bunch of ex-Catholics who don't want small groups? You know, you pray, you pray. So I got tired of fighting and I spent a lot of time going to Africa. And in Africa, I launched 90 people into ministry who all have churches. Some of those replicated. Um, it was difficult. It was far more uh, probably suited to my personality because I'm adventurous. I went to places that white people don't go. And I went to the border of Sudan and Somalia and uh, Uganda, that top corner called, um, well, anyway, it was just the top corner of uh it's called the Illumi triangle um where there's it's pretty rough and people have machine guns everybody's naked that sort of thing and um i had great success among the tribals uh i went against uh, fgm you know female genital mutilation um i found out that the united nations was literally they were the transport for all the sex slavery to saudi arabia it was really bad and um i got in trouble a couple times i had to uh, I was there when Al-Shabaab attacked, looking for the white missionaries. I was that missionary they were looking for. And so I had to hide in the bush. And, you know, it sounds a little dra dramatic, but it really was. And um, uh, I went against some cartels. I didn't mean to. It's just that when you're there preaching the gospel and you see little kids that are starving to death and officials not caring and you see, you, know, you see true human tragedy. Uh, I went into some AIDS villages and... Um, uh, brought some doctors in, you know, we did that for actually did that for about nine years, digging wells, that sort of thing. Um, I just got an invitation back. I actually bought a farm there and, you know, I was still doing all that pastoring in Keene because sometimes, uh, you know, when you get, when you feel like your local church isn't doing what your vision is, you still, I just, I don't know if it was that, or I just had a need for adventure. So I bought a farm where people had, you know, I picked where people had starved to death and I bought a farm, drilled a well, gave well equipment out, started working with tribals. Um, and it just, it just went large quick. And um, it's still going, things are still happening. Um, but God gave me a break from that for a while. And I, I just got invited back. I'm not sure I'm going to go. Uh, I later on started a business, uh, Hyperbaric Fitness, 
and uh, my mom was dying of uh, Parkinson's and that's pretty brutal. So I built, I prayed and I'm a Holy Spirit guy. Um, I had, I heard a voice speak to me. I followed that voice. I built a hyperbaric chamber. Uh, My mom's Parkinson's, all the symptoms went away for seven years. She's still alive and she's not supposed to be. Now I realized my biggest mistake was about five years ago or 10 years ago, I was praying and I literally heard the Lord say, run the church as if you're in a wheelchair. I'm thinking, I'm not in a wheelchair. And I realized I'm supposed to run the church as if I couldn't do anything, but everyone else was supposed to do everything else. You know, it's the whole process of going from being a cowboy to a rancher. And that was a really hard step for me because I love having hands on with every person. But you can't grow a church larger than, than, uh, than a couple hundred people. Most people can't get beyond 12 if you do that. So I, had to, I was forced through painful decisions I made that were wrong to give that up. And um, what ended up happening was um, I now have five disciples. I have five young men who I have trained to do everything. Not one, not two, I have five. I can't do 12, I'm not Jesus, but I do my best. They're, they're all in their 20s and any one of them within the next year can pastor a church, plant a church, um, take over my church. And in my business, my hyperbaric fitness business, I have five people that can run the whole thing. So now I can literally, I'm free to do whatever I need to do um, and be far more fruitful at 55 years old. So um, that's where I'm at. So you're intentionally um, what would people would call bivocational. <clears throat> On purpose. Yeah. You started out that way because you had to, and then you right. don't have to anymore, but you're now you're doing that because you want to. Talk to us right. about that a little bit. Okay. So we have, I think, you know, we talk about operational models and paradigms. So Western, Western Christianity went professional clergy, which is really a, a pagan type of issue. Some of what we do in Western Christianity is paganism. The Apostle Paul um, was a tent maker. He was the most prolific church planter in the early church we've ever had. He started Lydia, he's the, who went and got Asia Minor. He started all these other church planters, right? So as soon as you have professional clergy, you got the professional Moses who's paid to do everything else. So I, I have struggled on and off. I have been full-time for the church, and I still am full-time, but I take a salary one half of what everyone else in town takes because, first of all, I, maybe I have a spirit of poverty. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Rob McWilliams, told me um, that I had a spirit of poverty. He was right. I, I did. I grew up poor. But... Um, Something about- you had a job when I first met you. You had a an executive position in a large company, and that's how you started the church, right? Yeah, I was working for McGraw Hill. Right, I was uh, European marketing director for one of their publications. Yeah, so um, I was doing that. So anyway, long story short, uh, my my home business, my hyperbaric chamber business, is really flourishing. I just bought or I'm buying a commercial location, and I have a lot of people, and I have employees, and um, uh, it's really beginning to majorly flourish. Um, and I want to do a model that's replicatable. And I don't really, the whole idea of hiring one guy, paying him, paying him good money, um, and then having a staff, it's kind of like, I don't know, that it works for people. It just doesn't work for me. I think everybody should be on the team and everybody should do everything. Um, it's kind of like the Navy U-boat, uh, or not U-boat, the Navy um, 
uh, PT boats. Everybody knew everybody's job and everybody was capable of any part. And that's really, I don't know whether it's perfect or not, but that's how I have to do it. So for me, everybody teaches, everybody preaches, everybody prays to whatever level they can. Everybody cleans toilets. I love that about you, Ralph. You, for a while, you told me, you told people about, you had a Japanese guy that was a restaurant owner and he would come and clean the bathrooms. And I love that story and I, I learned from it. And so I, every Sunday, I pick up the food, I clean a bathroom and people say, what are you doing? I'm saying, we're all the same here. And that goes a long way. So you're, 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 you're picking up the food, you're cleaning the bathroom, you're executive pastor, um, but then you've rotated other people into all those roles along with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, this, and, and your congregation, I don't normally like to talk about numbers, but your congregation is a couple hundred people. Yeah. And this is pretty much a model that we're trying to present to people as a microchurch model where a, a pastor is um, either a freelance pastor that's got a full-time job or owns a business and he does a church as kind of a side hustle and plants a church that way. Uh, pretty much what you did when you planted, yeah. but, but the, the intentionality of that. And then, then part of that model is that everybody shares in everything. So that we share the teaching around, we share, you know, the janitor work around that every, everybody's involved doing everything. But you actually are a little bit unusual because I don't think I've met anybody that's able to sustain that with a couple hundred people. And um, you, I know that for the last few years, because you were doing other things, you haven't uh, planted churches, but you really have uh, now a model that is going to allow you to get back into the business of, of reproducing churches. And you just said you got five guys that uh, are capable of doing that. Talk to us a little bit about the future and where you see that unfolding. So with my five guys, we call them the five amigos. Uh, we honestly, we have a whole lot of fun. We just meet uh, for four hours every Saturday, like clockwork. Um, one of the guys is marrying my daughter, which is pretty fantastic. That wasn't planned. It just happened. Um, and um, so when we started getting together, I just prayed and I realized that if you get five people or six people, you know, through are going to be senior pastor material and three might be support but you know a good support man will take a church from 50 to 300 if you have the right guy right so it doesn't i'm never looking for the flash in the pan or who looks best or the ken and barbie up front people in fact i, I kind of ignore those a little too much but um so as soon as we started meeting i just said here's my goal my goal isn't isn't to give anyone here this church my goal isn't to uh, my goal is to turn you into an extraordinarily christian leader whether that's running a christian camp and starting it or whether that's starting planting a church or whether that's starting an orphanage, whether that's running this church or whether that's moving on and pastoring another senior pastor, some other church, this denomination, no denomination. I really don't care. When we did that, it just freed people up, the five guys. So now we just talk about everything. And I see one guy that probably will plant a church within 20 miles of our location. And when he does that, I'll stand him up in church and talk about him a lot. I'll let him preach a lot. This is your model, Ralph. I learned from, from you on this. Um, I'm letting him preach a lot. And if he decides to plant another church, um, he can take whoever wants to go with him. And um, freely, without any reservation, anybody can go with him. And I, I don't cherry pick. A lot, of, a lot of pastors will cherry pick everybody, but not him, not him, not her. Right. 
as if we have any say over it. Um, so uh, that'll happen. And another guy has a, has a real strong calling to start an actual practical hands-on school of carpentry Bible school where, you know, Jesus was a carpenter. My question is, why did we, went, why did we go academic in the white collar world with clergy instead of into carpentry or fishing like Jesus did, right? Jesus went up for the blue collar and we have no trade schools. Who the heck, what the heck? Jesus was a carpenter, Peter was a fisherman, Paul made tents, that's all blue collar, right? Christianity yeah. spread fastest in blue collar, hardworking people. And we go academic, we go white collar, liberal arts, and it's all, it, you look at what's wrong, it's we've gone away from the path, right? So I want to, we're going to start a, we actually are going to start a school, a training school. That's the plan for, we're going to teach you how to, you're going to be a welder, a hairdresser. You're going to be a, you're going to be, you're going to make swimming pools, build uh, greenhouses. You're going to, you're going to become out certified, both carpentry, plumbing, certified. And you have a Bible degree so you can preach pastor and you can work with your hands. When we started churches, if we started with blue-collar people, uh, once uh, the miracles started happening, lives changing, the white-collar people always followed. But if we if we started with the white-collar people, we didn't always get the blue-collar people. Another thing that we discovered was if we would start, because you start in a church, um, you know, when I started, it was pretty much a legacy model. Uh, we started with a dozen people. We we needed to, to get like to 100, and at that time, probably about 160 people just to make budget. And and I started the church out of my own savings. We so we got a free building, but everything was, you know, until until my family ran out of money. And then it seemed like the Lord began to turn the money on. But very quickly, we realized that if we would start with single adults, uh, we didn't have the overhead of having to run a, a really good children's ministry because the only child in the church was my baby boy. As as we grew, then these, these kids would get married, and eventually we had kids, and then we had a children's ministry. But right. when they first came in, they, we, weren't, we weren't having to carry as heavy a load. So there's some different ways of, of looking at, at church planting. One of my friends has uh, started a school for entrepreneurs, and he pretty much requires that you start a business before you get to start a church. He's awesome. making disciples, and, and they're cranking them out like crazy. I just love hearing these kind of stories. And thank you for the years of faithfulness in, in Hope Chapel in Keene, New Hampshire. By the way, how many people live in Keene, New Hampshire? Uh, 23,000. 23,000. So you're basically touching, what, what about about 1% uh, of the population? Uh, that sounds pretty good to me plus the churches you've planted. And actually, we did a, we had a 20-year celebration. Now we're on 25, but when we did the 20-year celebration, we started, it's all, well over 1,000 people have come to Christ and 900, almost 1,000 been water baptized. So, you know, we have, a, we have a big transitional church, and that's a whole other conversation. But, um, you know, we're in a college town, and there's a huge brain drain. We literally, as soon as we get people saved and discipled, they're gone to Midwest or down south where there's jobs. And no matter how hard I try, I still lose a certain amount of people every year to job transfer, and I can't stop it. Um, we should say, you know, people said, oh, celebrate it. Well, it's easy for them to celebrate. They're not, you know, they're not the ones who have lost their momentum because of it. So, um, but yeah. But momentum, but, momentum aside, you are sending missionaries wherever they go. Oh, yeah. 
Well, thank you. Thanks, Joe, for just all you've done. And thanks for taking the time. And uh, we need to stay a little bit more in touch than we do.